Hi there, and welcome to season one of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services, go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. We are currently searching for funding from a foundation or through advertising. In the meantime, this podcast is funded through a combination of community support and my own personal contributions. If you would like to contribute to the podcast so we can continue to bring more episodes to you and to people around the world, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash but seriously the cancer podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. Today's guest is Daniel De La Cruz. De La is a husband, a father, a musician, a brain tumor survivor, and a believer. He is the saxophonist for the band Slightly Stupid and also leads his own band, De La and Steady Rock Easy. It's important to let y'all know that I've known De La for over 20 years. When the guys told me that he'd had a brain tumor, I knew he had to be on the podcast. I reached out to him, we had a conversation. He explained to me that he did not have cancer. He had a tumor in his brain that could have killed him. As we went on and I heard the passion in his voice and the desire to let the world know what he'd been through, what others may go through, and how much he wanted to be a support for others, something told me this cat was going to be an excellent guest. And we were all going to learn a lot from what he'd been through. Dela had surgery that saved his life. He had post-surgery radiation to keep the tumor from coming back. I couldn't see any difference between what he'd been through and what a lot of cancer survivors had been through. The only difference in my book was what they called it. So without further ado. Cool, we're on. Nice. Well, shoot, man. It's been a really long time since I saw you. Uh, You look great. You look great. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Has life been treating you as well as you look? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you know, I've had cancer twice. Mm -hmm. So it's... uh, you know, I'll tell you what, there's, there's obviously been some, some challenges and, uh, I've grown so much as a person Mm -hmm. from having cancer and going through all of it and, you know, being willing to really be honest with myself about everything that I'm navigating, you know, all the emotional, mental aspects of it just threw me into like, what would you say? Launched me full speed into really being straight with myself, you know? It definitely puts the rubber to the road, you know what I mean? So to speak, like it's, you know, you can call it whatever you want, come to Jesus moment, rubber meets the road, whatever, <laughs> like whatever. But yeah, everything is is very real all of a sudden, very real and very precious. And very precious, yeah. yeah. And so I just want to take a moment and let everybody, all the listeners know that what this podcast is about, it's, mm. it's called But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. But when I found out that my buddy Dela here <laughs> uh, had a brain tumor, I reached out to him and uh, invited him on the podcast. And, you know, when you told me that, that it wasn't malignant, you know, I slept on it for a bit and I woke up thinking, this dude had a brain tumor and brain surgery. Like, I don't know, like he ran, what you ran with the big dogs, dude. You've been through something. And, and then I thought, I'm really curious about what you've been through. So why should I keep the conversation to myself? Right, right. <laughs> oh, right <laughs> on. And, and, you know, I feel like over the years, you know, it's been in September of this year, it'll be 10 years uh, since the surgery. So I've always taken every opportunity to 
talk about it because who knows who's going through something similar, you know? Right. And man, like there, no matter how many people are around you, I'm sure you felt this at some point or maybe still do, but like, you know, no matter how many people are around you or how supportive your family is, you got to go through it by yourself. There's nobody that goes into the, onto the gurney with you. There's nobody that is, you know, feeling the pain or being nauseous after chemo or radiation, whatever it is, if you're going through either or, or both, like it's just you, you know? So I, sometimes, I, I mean, that's why I was all about it. When you hit me up, I was like, this is a no brainer, man. Like, yeah, I'm so stoked that you're doing this, you know? Thanks, man. Thank you. So I haven't even welcomed you. So Dale, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. I, I'm feeling welcomed already. We've been talking for about a half hour. That's great. <laughs> so, so let's see. So tell everybody, um, what were you diagnosed with and how old were you? Uh, so yeah, as I was saying, it was 10 years ago. And in 2010, I was diagnosed with a meningioma, which was growing in between my optic nerve and the meninges right here. Mm. Typically, they're not as big as they found out mine was. So, yeah, that was, uh, it was about the size of a baseball. Dude. Yeah, a big, 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 big one. What exactly is the meninges? The meninges, uh, so it's like, it's a chasm in between your optic nerves, basically. Like, and you know what I found out, which is the, this is totally, so let's backtrack a little bit and let me just yeah. say, let me just yeah. say that like initially what happened was, you know, so I'm this early thirties, like um, touring the world on top of the world, have this great pad where uh, right by the beach where I'm surfing in Southern California every day, you know, um, life was really good. And then I started like really having trouble with my vision, like in a really bad way. I had to like increase the cursor size on my phone to like, you know, the letters were like, you know, six inches high, like one letter <laughs> wow. per screen, you know, like it was wow. so crazy. I couldn't see people like walking right up to me. Like, you know, unless I knew you were coming, if you were standing right in front of me and I've known you for a long time, if you were standing right in front of me, I, I would have a hard time seeing you. You know, it was like that bad. I couldn't drive. I, I, there, there was a lot of things that were disappearing at this early age. I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know? So I started going to this uh, eye specialist in San Diego where I was living at the time in La Jolla. And um, yeah, they tested me for like two months. They tested me for two months and my vision just kept getting worse and nobody, everybody's looking in the eye that they're looking in my physical eyes, you know, well, there's no deformities. Well, it could be this. Well, it could, they had no idea. Now, were you touring at this point when you couldn't see? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the stage. You can't even see the crowd. You don't even know what you're looking at. So just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just kind of thought that that was how everybody saw it, you know, like a, like this book, kind of like blurry mess, you know, <laughs> but, oh but yeah. So after the summer tour, I got back and like, this is kind of when the surgery was in September. Stupid does a big summer tour every year that usually ends at the end of August. So throughout the end of August and the beginning of September, I'm having all these tests. And finally, thank God, <laughs> I got this one test. I don't know if you've ever had that um, field of vision test. You know, they like sit your chin in this like hood, you know, 
and like turn off all the lights and they give you a little clicker. And every time you see these like little Star Wars lights flash all over the place, you click the thing. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess my results were alarming enough to the tech where we're walking out the door and she goes, she goes, you know, I'm going to run these by my, these results by my neuro ophthalmologist. And I was like, okay, whatever. At this point, like a month and a half almost of, of testing, I'm over it. I'm over it. Nobody can tell me anything. I'm just like, I'm going blind and no, it, the frustration was creeping in, you know? Ah, I see. Yeah. So I get away from, I leave the appointment and I'm maybe a friend of mine's driving me at this point because I couldn't drive. I'm about 10 minutes away from, from the facility and I get a call back and they're like, um, well, yeah, we ran the results by the neuro-ophthalmologist. We need you to come in and see him. And I was like, okay, great. I'll, I'll make an appointment for tomorrow. And they go, no, you need to come back right now. And I was wow. like, holy shit. You know, <laughs> like, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when does that happen at the doctor? You know, like the doctor's like, oh yeah, I can fit you in sometime next year. You know, <laughs> like, right, right. this was you like forever. This was like, turn around, come back right now. I was diagnosed with a meningioma. That's what he thought it was. Had an MRI like the next day. Two weeks later, I'm in surgery. That's it. So you went in for that immediate appointment. What were the steps? What did they go through? What did they do? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was just basically based on the type of vision that I was having. So the field of vision test showed like that I was having this tunnel vision on my lower to lower to outer eyes, mm-hmm. which indicated something round was pushing down on my optic nerves and pulling them apart because I could see pretty good like here, but it, uh, like towards my nose, but it mm-hmm. was all on the outer and lower. Like I just, it was like nothing, you know? So by deductive reasoning, the neuro ophthalmologist was the guy, you know, he was like, he was like, yeah, this looks like something's pushing on your optic nerves. And I was like, oh God, like, what is that? What does that even mean? You know, like, (laughs) you you know, like, what does that mean? So, you know, there's a whole range of emotions, but really at the time I was just super hyper-focused on how, like, let's get this taken. Like, what do we do? Okay. What is it? Here's what it is. What do we do about it now? You know, and let's get this thing out so I can get back on with my life. Cause I like being here. I like living <laughs> right on. Yeah. So they say to you, okay, we want you to go have an MRI. Yeah. And then you go in, you get the MRI and how long did you wait for the results? Uh, not long. They were all, it, they were prioritizing everything. They were like, it was like up until that point, I had never been in that sort of a pipeline in the hierarchy of priority for the doctors. And it was like, they were, UCSD man, woo! Those are my people down there. You know, like they just really knew that I was in some dire straits and that they had to act fast. And that had to be a hell of an experience for you to be like, they're addressing you with that kind of vigilance and efficiency, and you're just like, oh man, like, <laughs> what was going through your mind? I, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, like from the get go of like of like when I'm driving away from the doctor's office, never in my life. Had I had any doctor, no matter what, like call me that fast and be like, no, we're not talking about an appointment tomorrow or next week. We are telling you to come here now. I was like, wow. Okay. That's, that's dire. 
That's, that's dire. I mean, how many doctor's appointments have you had that response to after you left them? I mean, only two. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but and, before and, that, never in my life. And, and was it like, it, it was some serious shit, right? Like it was some serious stuff at that time. You know, you knew. Yeah. Yeah. I think to myself, oh my God, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And like, for real, like, not like now you know that you can distinguish between like, wow, man, I wonder, I wonder if we're going to die. You know, you're on a plane and there's really bad turbulence, which can be scary. But like when you get that phone call from a doctor, you're just like, you start seeing your whole life. Yeah. It's not hyperbole, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's real. <laughs> it's very sobering, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, so- that, that's how it went down for me. And I think... So there was a lot of questions in between the time where the neuro-ophthalmologist diagnosed the actual thing that was affecting my vision, right? Because I'm going in thinking it's something wrong with my eyesight, you know, when in fact it's not something wrong with my eyes. It's something that's some genetic miscommunication that's happening in my brain that's causing this meningioma to grow, you know? And the craziest thing about it is like, so I have the MRI, I, before I meet with the surgeon, this thing doubles in size. Okay. Like I'm not, I'm not even kidding. So it went from the size of a lime to the time when they removed it, which was the size of a baseball. And and what kind of time frame was this? Uh, two weeks, like to recovery. Two, dude. Two weeks to like full recovery, you know? That had to be terrifying, dude. Like they, in two crazy. weeks, this thing, the, first of all, you have a lime-sized tumor in the cavity where the optic nerve travels. And then you're, so you're already just like, what? I have a tumor in my brain. Yeah, I'm like, instantly I'm like, I, well, I don't have headaches. Like, wouldn't I have a headache because of this? You know, right. where does it fit? Right. See that that's the thing, man. It's such a such a bizarre thing to even wrap your head around. So I think I just like survival mode for me at that point was I'm not trying to pluck hairs here. Like, let, let's just or split hairs rather. But like, let's just get it out of there. You know, like, right. I don't care how it got there, how it's fitting in there, how I'm like doing my day-to-day like nothing's wrong except for i need stronger glasses like let's just get it the hell out of there you know (laughs) did you get a second opinion or did you just did you feel your team was who you needed to work with the guys that the doctors that were on the team i was very fortunate to live near ucsd in la jolla and like ucsd is a learning hospital you know so they have literally some of the best doctors, specialists, etc., in the world working at that place. And the doctor that was the head of the of, of neurosurgery at UCSD at the time, his name's Dr. Hoi San Yu. I mean, this guy's been doing this operation for 40 years and like has he, he gets brought into uh, sheiks and sultans palaces in in faraway lands and performs this operation for you know saudi royalty and and all this stuff like this is the guy you know so the people with the money who get the best treatment that was your guy that was my guy that was my guy <laughs> I, I was just lucky you know or i i shouldn't say lucky i, I don't attribute it to that but um 
you know, I, the, the God has some work for me to do. You know what I'm saying? So he was like, he's like, uh, let me send you the best, the best so <laughs> that we can get you through this and you can get back to work doing what I need you to do. <laughs> yeah, so you, you lived in the right place for sure. For real, man. For real. So, so the two weeks growth from Lyme to baseball. So you, what you're saying to me is that when they did the surgery and removed it, they saw that it had already grown that much? Yeah. Yeah. And like kind of what they were saying was that, you know, this thing is attached to all my neurons, you know, like to all my brain activity. And so my being made aware of it was what made it like kind of like be like, well, shoot, they're going to take me out of here and I got to I got to do what I do, which is grow and and, and wreck stuff. You know what I mean? Like. That's kind of what they were saying was that like it became self-aware, basically. (laughs) I know it sounds like some crap out of Terminator Judgment Day or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah, some creature living in you. Oh, right, right. pretty much it was. That's how I felt each time I've told I had a tumor. With each of my diagnoses, there would always be a point where I would just start visualizing this deadly entity like living in me like and i would just yeah. i would start to feel like grossed out and disturbed like i like get out of me yeah like uh like like itchy or like like well like what is what, what get i didn't tell you that you could come in here you know like who have, violated right yeah 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 it's uh, you're being assaulted basically you know by something that you don't want you know you don't want that there and to have that happen twice like like I, I'm not sure about the particulars of your situation. What? So I know that you were diagnosed twice, but I don't. I don't know where. In 2007, I was three weeks away from being 37. It was uh, March 15th, and uh, I went in to see an exa- uh, uh, specialist because I was passing blood, and my doc kept telling me, "Yeah, you got hemorrhoids. You got hemorrhoids." And after like six months, I was like, "Okay." You know, every time I fart, I got blood shooting out. I'm like, "This isn't right." And if he's not catching on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I asked to see a specialist. He, I had so much blood, he couldn't see anything. So he set me up for colonoscopy. And like, you know, less than a week later, they're like, you have stage two rectal cancer. Yeah, so, and they told me that they're going to have to remove my rectum and then give me a colostomy. And I'm like, I, you know, at first I had to figure out what my rectum even was. And like, all right. So like, and the only person I knew who ever had a colostomy, it was like, it wasn't managed well, so it would be kind of smelly. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I just did not want to be that guy. So I, my wife looked up, uh, I was married at the time, and she looked up alternative treatments. And I went and did an alternative treatment. You know, And I had people in my life like going, dude, you're out of your mind. Don't go see a witch doctor, you know? But I was like, no, I'm going to get my monthly blood work. I'll get quarterly scans. Mm-hmm. And I really believed it could make a difference. Come to find out, after 10 months, I was only doing just to be... Uh, efficient in this conversation right now i only did like a partial version of this alternative treatment this detox therapy Mm. as a result it didn't remove the tumor it didn't do its job fast enough and so Mm. eventually the tumor was growing into an area of my body was causing a great deal of pain so i ended up going with traditional treatment Mm. ironically when i had the surgery my doc says my oncologist said you know there wasn't a single living cell of cancer in the entire tumor after the chemo and radiation i've never seen that before wow he's like and it's and it's been a year since you were diagnosed and it didn't metastasize so whatever you did i mean clearly it was doing something 
Right. But bottom line is it wasn't doing enough. So I go in, see a few more docs, get a few more opinions, and I end up doing like a five and a half week chemo radiation treatment and then short break. And then I had my surgery mm. and it was like July 16th of 2008. It's amazing how we remember these dates because <laughs> on wow. my wife's birthday, like I was prepping for surgery the next day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember mine vividly. I don't remember too much, like uh, on, in the way of dates, you know. <laughs> but yeah, right, right. But yeah, I, September twenty seventh, two thousand ten. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. And so then I had uh, six months of chemo, and I was good for like two and a half years. Mm. And then, uh, like in two thousand and ten, my wife and I split up, mm. and then like about ten months after that. I was diagnosed again with metastasis to my liver. Mm. And I got that called, Dan, I was just like, okay, I'm going to die. Yeah. I got, you know, stage four metastasis, you know? So I go, I call a friend. I wasn't, you know, my wife and I weren't together. So I call my friend. I'm like, will you go with me to my appointment? Because I'm not, I always tell people, bring someone to your appointment because you can't even think. They're telling you, you know, you're going to, you have cancer. And all that's going on is you're like, okay, how am I going to take care of my kid? How am I going to work? How am I going to do all these things? You can't even hear what they're saying. Mm. Yeah. Your brain's just overloading with life. Yeah. And yeah. so he says, I got good news. I'm like, I don't have cancer. He says, no, you got the good kind of metastasis. <laughs> I started laughing. I'm like, dude, I didn't know there was a good kind of metastasis. <laughs> but in his world, you know. So what he said yeah. is it didn't metastasize through the lymph nodes. There's a series of veins called the portal veins. They run up from the large intestine to the liver. And Makes sense. Yeah, like it draws from the large intestines and goes into the liver to be filtered or whatever. Mm -hmm. And apparently some cancer cells traveled up through those veins and got into my liver. Sons of bitches. You know? Man. So I had another surgery. Down This time I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering. And mm -hmm. uh, then I had like a seven-month chemo regimen. And uh, they finished that chemo in June of uh would have been 2012 and like i finished my chemo on friday and then that saturday i went to ross rob's wedding <laughs> yes ross <laughs> rob <laughs> and you know so like i'm like okay i just finished my chemo what's up everybody congratulations rob you know uh, we played some music he had my band play some music and some different cats they played some music for the wedding and that was how i wrapped up my chemo and let's see so that was uh they removed the tumor, though, in, uh, I think it was October 28th of 2011. And there's been no evidence of disease since that date. So I'm now looking at, uh, where are we? It's uh, eight and a half years. God bless it. Give thanks. <laughs> Amen, that, dude. That, that is unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I, 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 I'm usually not at a loss for words, but yeah, that's all I can say. That is unbelievable. It really is. I'm so glad that you're still here, man. To look at you, you look great. <laughs> you know. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's it's we have friends. You and I both have friends uh, that we've lost. Indeed. Cancer. I mean, I've had cancer twice, and I'm still here. Like that's crazy. Right. It also like to remove ourselves from it a little bit. Like it says a lot about how much cancer research has developed or surgical techniques or testing has developed, you know? So 
optimistically moving forward, like like you just said, we've had mutual friends that we've seen uh, taken over by this. I've also had friends that have been diagnosed with what used to be the quote unquote death sentence, like uh, prostate cancer or whatever, and young guys. And like, but because of the technology now and the the surgeries that they can do and early detection and all that stuff, they're, they're fine. They're fine. They're it's amazing. You know, and when I was a kid and when you were a kid, that wasn't the case, man. Like that was not the case. You know what I'm saying? So things yeah. have changed a lot. We're yeah. fortunate. Very, very fortunate. Were you in JBB when Scott was in the band? That was, he was my bassy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude. Like Scott and I, yeah, he and I were never close, but of course we knew each other. I remember when he got diagnosed and I don't, what, do you remember when that was? Uh, it was, it, it all happened super fast to him. So like, it was like at the end of Oh five towards the end of Oh five, he was diagnosed. JBB got the opening slightly stupid tour in Oh six in like January, February of Oh six. And by like, I think maybe April he passed. Like that, that son of a bitch of a disease, like it ate him. It like, it ate him up. Do you remember that? Like he was larger than life and. Yeah, you know, that dude had a huge personality and he played bass. Like he was, he took up like the stage, man. It, it was incredible. It was ridiculous. And then we saw him towards the end of that, that run that we were doing opening for stupid. And he came down to Irving Plaza and he was like, half the size of himself you know it was and he was like yellow you know oh my god with the jaundice you know like he he wasn't quite like all the way there but like his skin it it was just man like thank god though that we are a that there's success stories you know like even among our small group and millions more out there in the world but like i have I, i just have to have faith because the the progress that science and and medicine has made against cancer is it's been really great you know it has been and we're not 100 percent effective with it but lives are being saved mm. and it's like you said like you know with prostate cancer now i've talked to a couple guys on a podcast who've had prostate cancer and three in fact mm. and you know some of them told me like you know it wasn't all that long ago, if you had prostate cancer, they removed your prostate, you were incontinent and could never get an erection again. Yeah, great. You might as well kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, like they've made they've made huge progress and they are saving more lives. And there are sometimes people like Scott where Yeah. Where the cancer comes in and it's just like it's only going one way and and, and it only breaks your heart. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's for certain. And I think with him, like it was this was kind of akin to my situation, which was there was a side effect. For me, it was vision. For him, it was like lower back pain. Like he was having a ton of lower back pain, but just thought it was from riding around in the van, you know, like touring right. touring the country, right. like riding around in the van. He was, you know, almost, almost 40 or in his 40s at the time, I think. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm too old for this shit kind of stuff. But like, <laughs> you know, but... It wasn't, and it, and by the time he figured out what was going on, it was too late, you know. So yeah, because with back pain, a lot of us are like, oh well, take a 
taking a leave, take an Advil. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, um, take some, I used to take, a, um, what would I take? I would take a, like black cohosh or valerian root or something like these tinctures. I remember one time riding down to, uh, to New York with, uh, with the band, with JVB, and I'm mm. just, you know, goofing, having fun going down with you guys. You know, I did not have any concept like that the band does, you know, there's no stopping. Oh, it's yeah. Four hours. It's, it's four hours, dude. You just go. And it's like, that's not in my brain. So I'm, on, I'm on Valerian, which is like, you know, a, an herbal muscle relaxant. I'm pounding water. I'm like, yo, I got to take a leak. They're like, no. Yeah. I'm like, what? They're like, no, dude. Like, we're not stopping. Eventually, we had to stop the van. I ran into some pizza place and, like, they were pissed, and rightly so, but nobody told me. But my. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to know that. You got to know that. You get into that JBB van. It better be the gas tank. Better almost be on empty, man, before you call for the whiz. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I got schooled. I got schooled. They were they, they they were. What am I trying to say? They were just. Uh, it was it felt like mafia. It was like you don't yeah. mess with this band. <laughs> no, no. But my whole point is, I'm having back pain. I'm having issues. Did I go to the doctor? No, I went to the herbal store and I mm. got myself some valerian root and I took it and it relaxed my muscles and I felt better. Right. Right. You don't, nobody says I have back pain. It's consistent. I'm in the van all the time. I better go to the doctor and get a, an X-ray. A blood screen. A blood, blood screen. That's right. For, no, you just for cancer. Exactly. You know. Yeah. 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 It was the same thing with me. It's like, oh, um, my, I, I can't see as well as I could. Uh, I must need stronger glasses. Let me go to an ophthalmologist. You know. Right. No. That's why they couldn't find it. That's why it took them so long to find the meningioma growing because. They were just looking in my eyes for, for, you know, at least a month, a month and a half. Right. Until that ophthalmologist got in there and was like, okay, this is what he's seeing. All right. That is, you know, brought in one of the pros and they, and they were able to like, uh, see things that someone who does vision tests for glasses is not going to see. Right. Right. Exactly. And the neuro ophthalmologist hit it out of the park. I mean, he, he didn't even meet me and he had me diagnosed, you know, like he was like, okay, this is probably what's going on. Yeah, so bring everybody back there. You you are told you have to get an MRI. Mm-hmm. Who did you call? I know you called somebody. Uh, well, at the time, I mean, you know, I've always been close with my family. So uh, at yeah. the time, at the time, I was single. Um, so um, yeah, I, I called my my mom. You know, I called my yeah. mom, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I think I think we're getting closer to a to an answer here. You know. And, you know, she was like, okay, great, great. Just keep us posted. Let let us know. Let us know. Positive vibes the whole way through, you know. And I I get the diagnosis. And, and like, I obviously didn't find out about really any or pick up on any of their emotions or what they were going through until after the fact. You know, even now, like, when we'll bring it up or the anniversary will come along, they, they tell me how hellacious those days were for them you know, how scary and how horrible, but they couldn't believe it because honestly, like I told you before, so, and this is for all your listeners as well. Like this is where my scenario differs from having cancer, right? Cancer is much more formidable as like a fight for your life in a lot of regards. So my, my experience is that this wasn't a death sentence right away. Like there was no cancer diagnosis, you know, it's, it's benign. Great. We're just gonna 
zip, zam, zoom, like get in there and snip it out and we're good. But I didn't really realize the magnitude of the surgery that I was going to have to undergo. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my parents at the time did, you know, even though I was being very, very cavalier, trying not to think about it, going about life as normal, surfing, practicing, playing music. You know, the night before I went into surgery, uh, I, I used to live pretty close to the this club called The Belly Up in San Diego. It's in Solana Beach. JBB used to play there all the time. But Is it like two blocks from the ocean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I was there once. Gorgeous, gorgeous club. So I used to live right up the road from there. It was, you know, a five-minute drive. So anytime anybody was coming through that I knew or that I wanted to see, I would I would make it a point to go down. But anyways, the night before I went went in uh, for surgery, my family's all there. My brother came from France. Uh, you know, my first childhood friend flew out from the East Coast. And every, oh, wow. everybody's there. I was just surrounded by love, you know. Um, yeah, man. And, um, yeah, that was that was heavy. But I, I went in just like you, like as soon as you got out of chemo, you went and played music. Well, the night before I went into surgery, I sat in with Collie Buds at, at, at the belly up, you know, like, and he, he has this one jam, it's called Blind to You. And I told him before, I was like, man, I'm about to go into surgery to have my eyesight saved. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, because we used to play a couple of his other songs when we was on the road with them, but like. Yeah, I asked him specifically. I'm like, "Yo, is that in the set tonight? I want to, I want to rock that one, you know." <laughs> and so we rocked nice. that one. And I, the next morning, I went in, and uh, that's when it got real. <laughs> so that was your surgery prep playing a set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, play sat in with Collie Buzz and 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 hey man, if I'm if I'm going out and this thing's gonna if I don't make it off that table tomorrow, at least I went out doing what I love to do, you know. Right, because we don't know surgeries no. are predictable but yeah. predictable isn't 100 percent. and sometimes right. you, you never know when you go under the knife if you're going to wake up oh there was so many and it's yeah yeah no matter how big or small the surgery is that's true outpatient surgeries to you know what i had was a full frontal bilateral craniotomy you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow yeah, so I mean, say that three times fast. Yeah, yeah, turn it into a frontal bilateral craniotomy. Yes, yes, which is obviously. So I'm wearing a hat right now, but um, if you can see, they did the such scar. a good job covering up the scar, but it goes from here up around the front of my forehead, around and down the other side. So literally, like, took my forehead off, you know? No, like, are you. For real, like they took the whole forehead bone off your head. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know if you can see it because of the light I'm in, but like there's a line right here. Like I can feel the yeah. the plate and the screws that they, you know, where they, mm. like, you know, <laughs> open sesame type stuff. So Dan, here's one of the reasons that I was so excited to speak with you, and it's not a positive thing. I was getting headaches after I was cancer-free from the metastasis to the liver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the uh, nurse practitioner or the uh, nurse, you know, before I meet with my doc for my annual scan, they always ask, you know, do you have any pain? Do you have any this? Do you have any that? You know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I have headaches, and they're, they're always on the left side of my head. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being nothing. But Thank God. my doc says, well, uh, let's, get, let's have you do an MRI 
just in case, you know. And I was working with this doctor, I still do, Dr. Kemeny, Dr. Nancy Kemeny down at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and mm. she's phenomenal. And when she expressed concern, I got real uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so because I was an out-of-area patient, you know, four-hour drive away, she set me up with it that day and said I'd get results the next day. And so mm. I get in the van, the shuttle, to go up to where the MRI is going to be, and I'm looking at all these people who I can see some of them are clearly under treatment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, no, no. I don't have cancer. I'm not going to be a person with cancer again. I'm not having someone cut into my skull mm. to remove cancer. It was it was too soon. I mean, I don't know. If, I know that sounds crazy to say too soon. Like right now, if I if I had to have brain surgery, I would be like, okay, mm. like that's horrible. Yeah. But let's do it. But back then, man, I was like, no, no, no. And I remember walking down the street, going towards. Uh, it would have been a York Ave in Manhattan because I was like, oh, ju- yeah. ju- you know, I could look just down to one of the cul-de-sacs and see the river, you know? Mm. And uh, I'm losing it in my mind. I'm, I, I'm, like, I got, I'm like, dude, pull yourself together. Yeah. You're a life coach. You coach people going through this. What would you say? And I started asking myself questions. I'm like, what is so and what are you making up? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But mm. before I got to that point, I'm walking down the street and I see this dude and he looks at me like, what the hell am I looking at? Kind of expression on his face. Mm. I'm like, what's he looking at? And I realized, oh damn, he's responding to the expression on my face. Right, right. Because you're wearing it. You can't, yeah, yeah. And you know me well enough to like, I don't hide my emotion. I couldn't if I tried, you know, it's all over my face. It's a (laughs) billboard. Usually smiling every time I see you. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was phenomenal yeah. to be anticipating the possibility of a brain tumor. The next day, <laughs> it's huge, right? It's 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 like it's so big. It's it's such a big concept to wrap your head around, you know. And yeah, and I've only been that far down the road. You have been told. There's a Lyme-sized tumor mm-hmm. in your optic nerve, <laughs> and we're, this is the process we're going to go through. We're going to remove your forehead. Right, and even up until the point... <laughs> hey, dude! Even, like, right up until the point where he says that I need the full frontal bilateral craniotomy, like, I'm thinking, oh, great. They're just, you know, this thing's, like, growing in between my optic nerves and, like, pushing them apart and, like... That's why it's all going on. I was relieved about that. And, oh, yeah, they're just going to go in through my nose and snatch it out through my nose. Eh, wrong. You know, <laughs> like, here comes the bone saw. Get ready, you know. <laughs> Are you awake? Hell no. No way. Okay, because I know that in some, I believe that in some surgeries, people have to be awake. And, like, are playing guitar or, like, violin. Yeah, I've seen right, those. I've right, seen yeah. those before. <laughs> I honestly, like, unless I absolutely had to, unless it was one of those situations I would request to be put out just because the sounds, I'm like, the sounds are like, if you're awake and they're like, you know, doing constructive surgery on your brain, you know, deconstructive surgery on your brain, basically, basically brain and skull demo, you know, like, you're going to, you're going to get moved around a lot after that, while that's all going on, like, I don't know. I, I, that, that, 
I have a hard time with that. So I would have been probably requested to be put out <laughs> if I could be. I mean, yeah, when I had my, uh, so there's a port you can get for chemotherapy. Uh-huh, yep. Where, they, you know, they don't want to just, you know, bang your veins up. So they'll put in the port that has a little silicone nipple and they can, you know, constantly, you know, address your blood needs that way. Chemotherapy treatments, the infusions. Mm-hmm. The second time I had one put in, I was so sick of being doped up. Because, you know, yeah. I, I said, I said, can you just, can you just put it in with a local? Do you have to put me under? Because I told the nurse, I'm like, I really don't want to be put under. And she kind of chuckled. And I said, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. The doc comes in and she goes, yeah, no problem. I can do it. She goes, I had my knee worked on. She goes, I just had him do a local so I could watch him do knee surgery. I'm like, okay, you are a trooper. But you know, I can handle that. <laughs> but when, when they put in the, uh, the port, what they do is it goes in your chest just mm-hmm. uh, below your, uh, what's the bone there called? The clavicle? Yeah. Collarbone. And then they run a line under the skin, over the clavicle, and then it goes into the vein that runs right into the heart. So mm. to get in there, like I could hear and I could hear the sound of the tool they were using to tunnel under my skin and tear the connective tissue. Scraping and pulling and popping. Ooh. And yeah, and that was uh that that took some focused breathing. <laughs> <laughs> See, I have a hard time with that. I've been through some crazy stuff, but like that is one thing that I am not into. Even like with dental work where they're extracting teeth, like like docs, you know, do you want uh, nitrous oxide, uh, local anesthetic and nitrous oxide or nitrous oxide, local anesthetic and, uh, you know, whatever. I'll take what's behind door number three, doc. <laughs> Give me the works, please. <laughs> Knock me out. I, I don't want to hear about any anything about it. You know, I just want to want to wake up and have it be done. So that just to continue a little bit, because I, I think that this part of the story is of my story anyways is kind of interesting and you might want mm-hmm. to hear it so yeah i, I hear all of it i, I get hear all of it i get the surgery and like uh, again like my my time frame was much more compressed yours was over many years this was like let's do it now recovery time was supposed to be like 10 days or whatever so i go in and like you know i had been in the club the night before playing music I was on a high, you know, come into, they wheel me in. And when I saw the gurney, that's when things got like really real. When they put me on the operating table, it's six o'clock in the morning and there's 20 people like firing around me. Like, I mean, it was a hive of intensity, bright ass lights, like everybody's doing this, this and that. And the other thing, and I was just like, okay, I can't ask for a pass now. Here we go. You know, 10, 9, 8. And oh, man. So the next thing that happens is I woke up, right? And I wake up and I am completely blind. Like not fuzzy vision, but like cannot see light, you know? Like, oh, yeah. wow. So obviously totally doped up on some of the craziest drugs that I've ever experienced in my life before. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That was some real stuff too. But yeah. And, and I could feel my eyes flicking around in my head, but I, I couldn't see anything. Like it was literally like I was in a pitch black room, you know? So, yeah. so the doctor had mentioned, doctor, you had mentioned that 
that was a possibility. Was that, uh, so I went into the surgery knowing that I might lose my sight forever. You know? Okay. So they told you you might be blind when this is complete. However, what I'm hearing you say in that is the surgery is still necessary. Oh, you oh yeah. You can't just choose blindness over surgery. Right. If I had had an aneurysm, I mean, imagine an aneurysm in the, in the frontal cortex of your brain, and it, which is where like your personality hub is and all that stuff. Imagine if you have an aneurysm with a tumor the size of a baseball. Like, so there's risk of aneurysm with these tumors. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It could have okay, could, okay. Could have reached a critical mass and popped. It could have snapped both of my optic nerves. It could have. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like the list of uh, the litany of of side effects or or effects possible direct. Outcomes. Yeah, possible outcomes was you know a laundry list. It was a mile long. There you go. So like, you were going into surgery not to save your vision. You were going into surgery to avoid, to to reduce the possibility of death as, it, from this tumor or paralysis or yeah or whatever and and like in my mind like I'm going well thank God I'm I'm a musician I I can play music without being able to see there's lots what of guys that do that <laughs> there's what a thought to even have yeah I mean and especially at at my age at that point I was I was 32 you know. Like I said, 32 and on top of the world, like finally getting a few things together in my life, you know? Yeah. So yeah, waking up blind definitely freaked me out a little. I mean, I was so high on whatever they had me doped up on, like that it wasn't like a, like, oh shit. It was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm blind. I kind of thought that I was like still in a dream, you know, like mm -hmm. kind of still like floating through a dream, like. Apparently, I was in a bright ICU recovery room, like with lots of big bright lights around me. And honestly, 24 hours later, I kind of sat up in my bed and I read the clock on the wall without my glasses. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. So it was it was all pretty miraculous from then on. Like from that super super low point to like the rise out of the ashes, kind of of like of like being blind and then being able to, I mean, you see me, I wear glasses. I've worn glasses uh, for years um, because I can't, I'm more nearsighted. I have an astigmatism, but I'm, I'm nearsighted more so. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. So I'm like, here I go. I'm, I'm going to go through the rest of my life blind, but no, that took off. And then three days later, I released to my house. And a week after that, I was on stage at Austin City Limits in front of 50,000 people. <laughs> so you're standing on stage and all your bandmates are like, yo, Daylight, you just had your brain, you just had your head open last week. They, you're ready to do this show? They, could, they couldn't believe it. They're like, please, please double check with your doctor. <laughs> and like my doc was like, he's like, yeah, you're good. I had my follow-up exam with him. He's like, you're great. You're making great progress and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, so, shit. All right. <laughs> so just, just a moment ago, I couldn't even hear what you were saying. When you said a week later you're on stage, you said where you're playing, and I I couldn't even that couldn't even be received because I was still stunned by the fact. And so so tell me again where, uh, where was we were playing that festival Austin City Limits, and there was there was probably fifty thousand people in front of our stage that that day. 
and yeah, a week ago, you. Wait. So, yeah. I still had I still had thermal bandages on my head. Like I always wear a hat. I couldn't wear a hat. You know what I mean? Like I always wear a hat, but I. I you couldn't. had thermal bandages. What I had a. Th- it's like this. It's like a self adhesive kind of thing that's like that was right over the top of my head right here. So I had I had this bandage on that I think eventually fell off that day maybe I don't know but sweating yeah. on stage sweating on stage and yeah yeah I was I was just so so freaking happy to be alive man like oh, that man. feeling that feeling of gratefulness and and how humble you feel and how small you feel um yeah. it yeah. feels amazing it's an amazing thing to have that it must have been, it sounds like it was a brand new experience to you being on stage. Like, like you'd probably gotten pretty used to playing huge crowds and now all of a sudden, like it's brand new. Yeah. The, the gratitude the, and, the, and the humility. It, it, the humility, yeah. And the, the, the both of those words are, are really more along the line. Like for me, it it's never really been about the, the masses it's it's about it's about the music you know and And you love what you do right and so like as i told you like before i went under the knife i was on stage and the whole time i'm recovering i couldn't wait to get my horn in my face again you know (laughs) yeah play, play some music you know so like to be there whether there was five people or five hundred thousand people it it wouldn't have made a difference but it was just the fact that I was there with my brothers and, you know, we were smiling. We were, we were smiling. We were living, living our fullest life, you know. How many days after the surgery was this? Ten. Ten days. Yeah, I bet they're like, okay, you sure your doc said this is cool? <laughs> because I don't know if you should be here right now. No. Oh, we, my goodness. There was no Jaeger shots for De La that night. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no, no, no Jaeger shots with all the Vicodin they had me on. <laughs> and not to mention, I bet you were so high emotionally from the fact you're like from from rolling in to the ER and seeing a twenty person team about ready to cut your skull open. It all hits you like this is so real. And mm-hmm. ten days later, you're playing Austin City Limits. Yeah, it was. Um... I wanted to feel every bit of it. I, I wanted to feel too. every bit of it. Yeah, bro. You know how oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know how it is though, like that feeling of, of triumph. Like I don't know if they had this at Sloan Kettering, but I, I had to have radiation about a year after the surgery just because there was some pieces, residual pieces of the tumor left. And I'll never forget how freaking good it felt to ring that damn bell. You know the bell them did they have that at Sloan Kettering? Like the bell, dude. I know the bell. You gotta have I know the, the bell. bell so well. Like you just wanna slam it as hard as you can and say, Fuck you, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow, yeah. we yeah, man. And I wanna go back to something. I wanna tell you, like, so Yes. With you know, my band that I was playing in, and for those of you who are listening, De La E tours the world. I toured my I didn't even tour my state. I toured like kind of my neighborhood. <laughs> but when you love playing music, whatever, right? And so it doesn't I matter. Get, <laughs> I would get chemo 
every two weeks. And so what I was doing, this was the second, the first time I was diagnosed, it was just, it was all too much. The yeah. second time I was diagnosed. You're I'd a pro at this point. You're a pro. <laughs> Sadly, I was a pro. Yeah. And like, I get chemo every two weeks. And so in the off weeks, we were booking shows. Mm. And I had, I had a four piece band, that, you know, upright bass, myself on acoustic guitar and singing, and then like a guy on fiddle and, and a guy on electric guitar. And I should name these guys because they're amazing. It was Taylor Price on bass and Joe Prush on fiddle and uh, Jason Shago on electric guitar and Tommy Whittle would play the harmonica sometimes. And I know oh, that name. I know I mean, that name. Tommy yeah, Whittle. dude. Yeah. And so, you know, one week I'm having chemo and I'm down and out. And the next week I'm in a bar and it's packed and our band's just playing, you know, outlaw honky tonk country music, just blowing the roof off the place. And everybody's dancing, having the time of their life. And I got people there who love me, who know what I'm going through. I got people there who are just to see the music. And I would do these, I don't, I think we'd play like once a month. And man, when I was going through chemotherapy, that stuff is brutal. I mean, thank heavens we have it, but man, it is brutal. And I would go in and play those sets and it would just lift me up, man. Yeah, way up, up, yeah. So high. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to your point, man, like when I would go into radiology, oncology, they were in the same building at UCSD. I, I would see people that were getting both. And yeah. like, like yeah. I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Like the, I mean... So I'm having brain radiation, right? Like they're zapping me for 20 minutes, like three or four days. I think it was like three days a week they did it for like six or seven weeks, right? It's a long time. I know, I know. A lot of treatments, you know? So just to clarify, Mm. how long after the surgery was this? You said about a year? Yeah, it was about a year. year, And so you went in, what, for a scan and they said, okay, dude, looks like it's coming back? Well, even after the surgery... Doctor, you knew that that he didn't get it all, you know. So they knew that this was going to have to be a course of action later on. So they simply they 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 would have done more damage than good had they removed all of it. Exactly, exactly. It was there was too much collateral damage for it to be removed surgically. So they opted for radiation, which also, as you know, is it, it can produce a lot of collateral damage and those cells like yeah, t- yeah. take a lifetime, a human lifetime to break down. So it's in you forever. It's still in me. It's still doing its thing. This was, you know, nine years ago that I had it, you know? So anyways, um, to your point, like they would blast me with this stuff, like right across the front of my head, the beam would hit me. And so they drive- start on one side and run to the other. Yeah. And driving home every time after treatment, it was like, when I got, by the time I got home, it was like somebody stuck my head in a fucking microwave, you know? Like, you're just like, it's like a sunburn from the inside, but like, and and to have that and chemo at the same, like, just like we said before, just, I I, I give it up to you, man. Like, that's, that's some heroic shit. You know, like that is some really hard shit to go through to keep yourself positive all the time, you know, and like to anybody who's listening out there, if there's one thing I will say, like, you are not alone. (laughs) You are not alone in feeling that fear of this thing or that dread or that like pissed off feeling of like, what the, what, how, how dare you invade my body and make me have to go through this? You know? Yeah. 
yeah, feeling violated, man. And you are, uh, yeah, you, it's so much emotion just rose up in me because yeah. that was what gave me pause because the radiation and chemo was so hard. And, you know, you say, you know, keeping a positive attitude, it's, and it's really, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, it's returning to a positive attitude consistently because you go down some dark roads, you know, the, the imagination is, is beautiful, you know, the creativity, right? And music, yeah, yeah. but the imagination can also be very scary. Enemy in times of darkness, for sure, for so you, sure. Yeah, it's just returning to positive and oh my gosh, like I could entertain you. I don't know how entertaining it would be telling you the, the, the uh, side effects from the radiation from the chemo i'll just i'll give you a touch on it quickly like i had rectal cancer so they were they were putting and it was right the tumor went right down to the anus so they had to remove it all so that's why i have the colostomy and man like talk about a sunburn on a sunburn on a sunburn every time you're on the toilet you Mm -hmm. irritate that sunburn yeah yeah and dude like that area of your body has so many more blood vessels like then my Nerves. forehead, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh god. And then, and then, there, and then, the, between the chemo and the radiation, it gave me diarrhea. So then I'm just like, there's just like fire going over fire. I had, I, I literally burst out laughing at one point because you know, because when you do the when you do the radiation, you know, they give you like the vest to wear and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, but they didn't give me like a little vest for my balls. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't why didn't you put my junk in like a junk vest? Because I had <laughs> I had I had uh, boils on my testicles that were like the size of my thumbnail, oh, and then there'd be like Jesus. four and five whiteheads on those boils, and I was walking bow legged because it hurt so bad. Right, and you're like, is it is this not enough? Is it not enough yet? Is it, it's it, when I, bingo, you nailed it. I burst out laughing. I'm like, this is insane. Like, there's more? <laughs> <laughs> there's more, right, right, right. So you have kicked, so I fell down. You've repeatedly kicked me in both nuts for the better part of a year. And, and we're not done yet? Okay, okay, great. And we're not done yet. Yeah, so. It's really uh, hard not to feel like that though, right? I'm grateful for whatever reason that I was able to simply just start laughing. Yeah. 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 Any, anything that, yeah. Anything like that, you've never experienced it before. So how do you know how to react to it? Like, and then when you bring in, like you were saying, you bring in music, you bring in some laughter, like, there we go. Okay. You know, um, during that first diagnosis, you know, I'd get, I get my chemo treatment and I just, I wasn't in good shape. And, uh, one day, uh, you know, they would do reggae Tuesdays here in Ithaca. And, oh, uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think it was, you know, and, uh, I'm trying to think of what the bar was called back then. I think we called it castaways back then. I think that was the name of it. Now, what, and, what's uh, it called now? It's not castaways anymore. The dock. <laughs> okay. All and, right. And it was a music club. And then now it's a pool room. I don't even think they do music anymore. And the, I think this jail uh-huh. is both the haunt and um, the dock. And okay. I think all music, well, once we all start getting to have music in our life again, because right now we're dealing with COVID-19. Good Lord. But when music returns, I think it's just uh, the haunt. 
I don't. The haunt's think the only you, venue. Well, you know, no, no. There's more, but like, there's no more music at the dock. Oh, okay. It was once Castaways, but but so I'm on my way home. I was doing uh, chemo down in Sarah, Pennsylvania, and it was a 45 minute drive back to Ithaca. And you know, Kevin and Rob, you know, they're always like, "Yo, man, when are you gonna come sing with us on Reggae, you know, Reggae Tuesday?" Yeah. And uh, I'm like, never. <laughs> I'm too sick. And one day out of the blue, I called Kevin. I'm like, dude, I think I'm ready. Put me on, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, call Rob. Like, I think we're going in. Cause usually on Tuesday, I would get chemo Wednesday through Friday. So I'd be sick by Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I mean, or may, may, I don't know. Maybe there was a Friday thing going on. I don't know. But all I know is like, I'm in the midst of chemo. I just had treatment. And I called Kevin. I'm like, I'm in, dude. So we hop on stage and did some three-part harmonies. And I would get sent home with this fanny pack. Yeah, so it had to be after Friday. I'd be sent home with a fanny pack of chemo that would just keep pumping into my body for a few days. good Lord. Yeah, it's brutal. And I'm on stage hitting my parts while I'm getting chemo. Yeah. And, And it was so fulfilling and so uplifting. You know, and then because the days that would come where I was just like so sick and thinking like, you know, how how am I doing this? Like, I don't, I, I would, you know, literally be like, I don't even know where the strength is coming from. Mm. And, you know, I'm feeling down and I think back to that set and singing and uh, feeling so blessed. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I can see it in your eyes right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. I mean, you know. Woo! Bob Marley said it best, man. When the music hits, you feel no pain. Oh, my goodness. Amen. Amen. And not not one bit of pain. (laughs) Goodness. Man, these memories, I haven't thought about this stuff. (laughs) I know. I I, I was wondering how it was going to go, and I was like, I was like, man, yeah, I, I, I only usually think about it now in September, like on, on my anniversary of the surgery. But, you know, and some, sometimes when I look in the mirror and I see the scar, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think about it or, you know, I, I feel like I, not to sound ungrateful because I, I think that uh, I, I give thanks for my, my life every day, you know, because I, I have a beautiful family. I, you know, I, we have a home together and, and I'm, i play music for a living, you know, great. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, you know, I, I feel like the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet sometimes. And, yeah. and so I don't ever attribute it to necessarily passing this uh, point in my life, test in my life, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, so it's, it's really bringing up a lot of, of thoughts for me, but uh, conversely, those thoughts are right there when i want to access those memories like there's nothing Mm. clouding them they are right there and crystal clear you know yeah uh do you ever talk to your doctors anymore i see my oncologist annually now okay scans and uh i was down in sarah pa where i had treatment for my first diagnosis and I saw my doc down there and uh, I gave a friend a ride down there. She had no ride and she needed to see her doctor. So I strolled over to his office and asked if he was available. I told him I was a patient of his and would love to see him. You know, he comes out, his name's Bert Cager and he's just got the greatest bedside manner. He's so much fun. He woke me up from surgery mm. and I finally wake up and I look at him. He goes, okay. He goes, you ready to go into surgery? And I look at him and quizzically, he just bursts out laughing. He's like, just kidding. <laughs> Psych. 
I'm like, I love you, dude. You're so great. So he comes out, and I just threw my arms around him and gave him a hug. And then he kind of he smiled. Then he stood back and he shook my hand properly. But I'm like, I don't know if he's a hugger, but like, I don't care, dude. Like, you saved my life, man. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always trip on that too. Like, I, I, you know, so like when I woke up, like I said, I was blind for almost almost a full full day. Oh. And like it was, it was the voice in the darkness, you know, the, the, my nurse, you know, she was the voice in the darkness, like, uh, so drugged out and confused and, you know, like feeling all this sensation, all these weird foreign sensations, like the amount of thirst that I had, like, was ridiculous. It felt like my mouth and throat were f- like burning up like lava was in my throat you know like just burning up and all i wanted mm. to do was to drink water and they wouldn't let me because they weren't sure if i had to go into surgery again and the yada 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 and anyway it's like it was just that voice that voice her voice you know and i i still talk to her to this day both my nurses uh the, he- oh. the head of of the team that did the surgery dr baird she's in in uh on the west coast and we we still talk and like i mean i love them man they're my they're my angels you know like yeah they they were sent from above to save my ass <laughs> no that's beautiful you know that's beautiful yeah i invited one of my uh, chemo nurses to be on the podcast oh yeah yeah and she she said she's extremely busy and uh but you know we'll talk about it and then covid-19 showed up and you know obviously you know it's a different world. That's, you know, I'm whatever she's doing, you know, I'm leaving her be, Yeah. Uh, but I want to bring her on and, you know, hopefully perhaps a second nurse to talk to them about what it's like to be a nurse, uh, what things they want us all to know. You know, I really want, I just want to open up their perspective and bring that to us. Yeah. I, I think that they see so much of it that unless you're the difference maker for them, like a personal connection or what, whatever it is that happens. Yeah. They just, it's business. You know, it's like, it's like I have a list of, of 30 patients that I have to see and care for each one of them. So they're already open. They're already wide open. I'm not saying anything about that. All I'm saying is that the sheer volume that they have to deal with, you know, like in order like when you actually make a connection and put yourself out there for them, uh, I mean, I would do anything for those people. You know, I would do anything for my nurses. You know, and and to anybody out there that's a nurse, that's the front line. You know, that is the front line. They are the voice in the darkness. They're they're comfort. They're a warm blanket. They're your first meal. They're your you know. They're everything. They are everything. I would love it if you. I I really hope that. When these this craziness calms down, you can get one of them on on this podcast with you because that would be great. I would love to listen to that. I really love that you're saying that. I so appreciate that you're acknowledging them that way because you're bringing up for me something that I just haven't felt in a long time because it's been so long for me. Mm. And now that you say it, it's like just I used to go back to the and I said go back to the hospital and get a scan, get my routine scans and my blood work. And I would stop by the chemo infusion lab to visit the nurses because I just wanted to connect with them because they become so special to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just to imagine a human being who goes to work, like you and I went in to save our lives. 
they go into work and they spend their work day doing their best to save the lives of many people every day. And every every people every day. And they lose these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are extraordinary human beings. Heroes. They are they are heroic. You know, my my sister in law is a is a nurse in Chicago and I just the other day with all this COVID nineteen madness right now, I hit I just hit her up and I was like, You you're my hero. Like you you are a hero my hero because you're out there helping people that can't help themselves. And that's aside from being a parent, that's the most noble thing that there is. And really they're kind of similar, you know. As a parent, we're charged to to raise a life and to care for a life. And that's what nurses are doing every day. They're charged with caring for your life after you almost lost it and my life after I almost lost it. You know, like, so yeah, hero is a perfect word for them, for what they are. You're absolutely right. And thank you all so much, every one of you that's out there on the front lines right now. Just, you know, And you all that took buses and, and planes to go to these hot spots, to go to New York, to go to other big cities and work with these people. Thank you so much. I can't I mean, literally yeah. just like, you know, walking into fire. Exactly. To save lives. And, and I've, I've read accounts of uh, nurses who spent time, you know, holding the hand of somebody who can't have loved ones with them. Uh, someone who was dying on a ventilator, you know, and, and, and just holding this woman's hand uh, another nurse holding a telephone so a rabbi could speak to this guy as he was dying. I mean, it's 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 heart wrenching, and you know, all of us that are social distancing so we can reduce the number of people that die. I mean, it's it's a beautiful act of love that's actually being expressed all over the world. Like, what an extraordinary act of love mm-hmm. taken on by so many people in the world, and yet there are people who are like spending their last days with like not being able to have their loved ones with them. And, th- and it makes me just feel like who cares what I'm doing? Yeah. This is what I have to do. Yeah. I have to like not have a lot of money right now. Yeah. I have to s- stay at home with my family and, you know, talk to my family and, you know, so what, <laughs> you know, that's a blessing. We should embrace that time, you know, we should. Yeah. My mom just fell last night. As I told you, my mom fell last oh. night. She broke her hip. She all right? Well, no, it was just to have surgery. I mean, I talked to her on FaceTime, so you know she's doing all right. She lives forty-five minutes north of me, and uh, yeah, when the ambulance brought her to the hospital last night, like I don't know, one at like twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, her husband, my stepdad, couldn't go with her because for protocol, you know, they don't want anybody bringing the virus into the building. People are right. It's and and it makes sense, but it's like. I, I called her. I said, how you doing? She goes, well, I asked for pain meds. I said, I said how you doing? Mm. She, and she starts telling me. And then she looks at me and she goes, you probably want me to tell you the truth, yeah? Said, yeah that'd be nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know me well enough. I'm going straight for the jugular if you're talking to me. So you might as well just get to it. Right. She said, I'm in pain. <laughs> she says, I'm in pain. And like I, I said, have you asked for medication? She goes, yeah, this morning I did. And this was like, you know, one in the afternoon. And so I, I said, all right, well, let me call the hospital and take care of this. And so I called and spoke to the social worker for her floor. Mm. And uh, as I'm speaking to him, I'm stuttering and I'm starting to tremble a little bit. And I realized like, 
okay, I took a, I told the guy, I said, let me take a breath, you know, and I thought to myself, like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm, I figured out, you know, I'm feeling completely powerless. Like in any other scenario, I would have been in the car at my mother's side. Right, right. I would have been, because I've been there before for her in the hospital. Go to the nurse's station. This is what my mother needs. Mm. You know, and, or, or my mother asked for this. They go, yeah, but we, you know, we told her we had to do X, Y, and Z. I realized like I was starting to like, I was a moment away from giving him an attitude. And I'm like, this guy does not need an attitude. How's it going to serve anybody? And I, it was just my unconscious mind just getting fierce with my love for my mom. And I said, pardon me. I said, I just want, I don't, I'm not trying to put this on you. I just, can you please go see to it that my mom gets the medication she's requesting? And if she can't get it, to, please explain to her why. And within like 15 minutes, he called me back. He said, your mom's going to get a couple of milligrams of morphine. We're going to take care of her pain. And da 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 da. And I was like, dude, thank you. Yeah. so much because i mean and that's just with my mom with a broken hip i mean that's it's not just i mean i just say you know compared to people who are uh on respirators right now you know it's just yeah yeah it's what's so what's my point because here comes the emotion again kind of stirring my head a little bit you know yeah my point is that's what i'm dealing with and it's difficult that's what my stepdad is dealing with and my siblings and my mom and like, and we're just talking about hospital visit. One of the one of the positive sides. A friend of mine who's a nurse at that same hospital. She said honestly, Bert. She goes, one of the benefits is like, the doctors don't have anybody to see right now. They're only seeing emergency cases. So like, right. they're well they're well rested. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, somebody without COVID, great. <laughs> Your mom is gonna get like a doctor who doesn't have five surgeries that day. He has one. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And she said, so that's a real good thing. And so I appreciate that. But I guess I just wanted to say, even with what I'm going through and how emotional it's making me, there are people that are losing their loved ones. There's folks who are, you know, passing right now. And uh, there's, there's, there's nurses and doctors who are holding their hands. And like you said, being heroes, being amazing people. So thank you all so much. Yeah, yeah big up, big up. And speaking of all that love and support, like... Uh, how did your family respond when you could see them? I mean, cause, uh, dude, I mean, everybody hoping you don't go blind and you thinking, well, okay, I could be walked out on stage and sit on my stool and blow my horn. <laughs> and know, then you like, see. I was thinking about Stevie Wonder. I'm like, shit, that's not too bad, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, no, anyways, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, because like I said, like, so like it, it didn't like come back like a light switch um, over the 24 hours after I was out of the 11 hour surgery. Um, it, it like I could, I would open my eyes and I couldn't see light. And then I would open my eyes and I could see a little bit of light coming in. Then mm -hmm. later on I would open my eyes and I could see blurry shadows, you know, still not a lot of light, but enough light to like, where people started looking, I could see the outline of these morphous blobs and those wow. lines started to become clearer. And then like uh, at like 3.30 in the afternoon or whatever time it was, I literally sat up with like no glasses on. I was like, it's 3.36. And the nurse like, oh she was like, holy cow. <laughs> like my parents just freaked out. And yeah, it was. I'm sure. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome, and then everybody knew I was going to be okay, you know. Oh. But it, I mean, I'm sure it was. It, I mean, they they even attest to this day. They're just like, 
it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Like an 11 hour surgery. What do you do for 11 hours? What do you do for 11 hours? Pace back and forth, pace, pace a hole in the, in the waiting room floor in the, in the hospital. Uh, like, I don't know. I, you know, but they were there. They, they stood by me, obviously every step of the way. And like, I don't know. I, I have a different, I have a different outlook on it because I'm, uh, I'm pretty spiritual. So, and I, and I really, too. I really rely on my faith. And, and so a lot of people, a lot of people would say, you know, how, how do you, how do you do that? And how do you do I'm like, well, God, God didn't think it was my time to go. So that's how I did it. Cause he told me to stay. <laughs> so, uh, right. here I am. And like, you know, it turned out that my, my daughter was conceived like maybe six months after that. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So he was kind of like, well, if you make it through this, I got all this over here for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I got, I got something for you. So at night, a lot of times at night, like, cause there was a lot of people around and I don't know if it was the same for you, but there was a lot of people around me before the surgery, like in the two weeks of uh, before surgery where everybody knew what was going on. There was a lot of people around and, so I would only have time at night. Like, you know, there was a ton of commotion during the day. Everybody was there uh, my in my family. And I had a roommate at the time. And we lived in where we lived. Like, it was right by the beach. But um, we were we had a house that was surrounded by apartments. Right? And there was apartments. The apartments had our friends in them. So, like, our friends would come over. We'd have dinner. We'd laugh. We'd have, you know. But at night, I was alone. I was in bed and all by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And at that time, when it was quiet, I could really feel, you know, a lot of times people say, yeah, I'm praying for you. Yeah, I'll keep, my family's going to keep you in, your, in, in our prayers. And, and that's a great sentiment. Yeah. But what, what I want to say is that when people actually do that, even if they are just saying that they're doing that in those quiet hours, you could, I could feel that I could, it was like mm. a physical feeling of like, like, holy cow, you're hyper aware that all these people in all these corners of the country and of other countries are with you. They are with you 100%. And like to feel that, I don't know, not just love, but like to feel that, that loving presence, let's say, you know, how can you deny, how can you deny that this is just something that you got to do? And my doctor always used to say that. He was like, he's like, like, you're going to look back on this in two years as like a bump in the road. And you know what? He was so right. He was so (laughs) right about that. It was just a bump in the road. It was a turn, honestly, to get really deep into it, it was a turn that I needed to take because the way that my life was going was, you know, one of excess and who knows what kind a of turn ru- you needed to take. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows what kind of ruin it could have led me to. And it was after this that I was like, I am like, because I realized that aside from my parents, I was alone. I was 
doing all these amazing things and seeing all these amazing countries and going on all these, you know, just doing what it was that I was doing with the music. But I realized that I had nobody to share it with, you know, I had nobody, nobody. And I don't know that I would have gotten on that path with so much conviction if it hadn't been for this bump in the road, (laughs) so to speak. And uh, yeah, it forced me to take a, not forced me, but it made me take a tour that, that financially didn't really make sense, you know, but I took it because I was so, so thrilled to be alive and to go play music with my friends. Mm -hmm. And it turns out on that tour, I met my wife. Oh, that's beautiful. I didn't know that at the time that that's what it was. But a couple of years after that, that's what it was, you know? So like this bump in the road, this like catastrophic, you know, occurrence, health, ma- massive health failure or whatever you want to call it. Like it opened so many doors and windows into a life that I always envisioned for myself, you know, dad, husband, family, you know? Yeah. It sounds like it brought your attention to something that really mattered to you. Something that you had just, you know, it had been in the periphery or not even at all. And then you suddenly sounds like you got present to how precious this life is. And (laughs) wow, this life is precious. What, what kind of life do I want to live? Yeah, and you saw what, and you realized something was missing. Like I have no one to share this with. Like, yeah, I have no one to share my life with. And it makes me think of when I got diagnosed the first time. I was like, wait a second. If I'm gonna die, because I was like about a month in, I was like, really like getting present to like, you know, this might kill me. And I said, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna live my ass off. Woo. Amen. <laughs> uh, that resonated with me big time, man. Like that, yeah. pi- that, that picture I sent you uh, to use in the podcast. Do you know where that picture is? Oh, I was going to ask. That's one hell of a picture, man. What is that? Where, is you? where I'm, were you? I'm, I'm on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Wow. Yep. Uh, three years ago, went on a, a, a mission to... Uh, help uh with the cessation of, of poaching elephants and uh yeah in order to raise awareness we brought a full band up there and played a comp- concert on the su- at Gilman's Point in at the summit of Kilimanjaro it looks chilly fifth fifth highest mountain in the world man it's got to be cold <laughs> up there <laughs> you had like you had like uh like into like snow pants on and like you know skiing pants and a leather jacket, right? You, <laughs> but it must have felt pretty damn amazing to be no, in the was, fifth highest. Yeah, yeah. There's no leather jackets up there, bro. <laughs> oh, that wasn't leather. Okay. No, no, no. It's like this. I thought you were still rocking a leather jacket I know, in the right? photo. <laughs> a bottle of vodka, like so. Yeah, no, 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 no. That was. Uh, that that took everything you that that will take everything that you have too. It's one of those things, you know. Um, yeah, and you want it to be a contribution to these people. Like, who did you do that with? Uh, I did it with this band called Tunnel Vision, and I I helped produce. It's an interesting name that you chose. 
I know, I know. It's it's very serendipitous from what I've been through for sure. <laughs> none of this stuff, Bert. Uh, none of this stuff, as you can attest, is coincidental. It's right. N- none of it's right, coincidental. Yeah. It's just we have we're so self absorbed until we have these aha moments and pull back and take a look at everything. And as soon as you take a look at everything, you're like, oh, uh, yeah. One plus one plus one equals three. You know, like it's it's that easy to see. You know, it's that, it's that basic. Simple. Yeah, it's that basic. But yeah, we're so we're so absorbed in day to day life, and that we don't we don't take any time to stop and smell the roses. And it's kind of one thing back to the. I mean, COVID is creeping in everywhere we go. Back to this COVID nineteen thing. It's kind of one of the biggest things that I'm thankful for is that this is forcing everybody to go, yo, stop what you are doing. Stop. Just stop. You don't have to do anything else except stop. Great. And now you realize how important family is without having to go through cancer or without having to have brain surgery. Like you're realizing the importance of all these things because you're finally stopping. It's not about accomplishing the friggin' to-do list that everybody has every day, you know? It's just about being, you know? (laughs) No, it's really well put, man. Everyone in every country who's social distancing is getting present to all the things that they do, does it really matter? You know, the people in your life that you're thinking about now, who you love that you can't be with. Right, right. Yeah, I really hope that, you know, most people, I hope that everyone, I guess I was trying to be realistic, but I hope that everyone really, you know, you know gets like the value of the relationships in their lives mm. and, and that I do as well, you know, because like w- when this whole thing started, like, you know, I got really busy working on music and uh, I, I wrote this funny song that I'm going to post, you know, about uh, being single within a COVID-19 world. <laughs> silliness, you know, but it's fun. And at one point I stopped and I realized I was working my tail off because I didn't actually want to slow down and just be because then I'd have to actually think about what we're going through, mm. that we are all social distancing to reduce the number of people who die. You yeah. keep six feet away on the sidewalk to reduce the number of people that will die. I mean, that's most of us. I don't know. Most people have never been through anything like this. No, no. This is this is historical. I mean, the last the last time this happened was in 1918 with the Spanish flu, and there's nobody alive from that time period, or not many, not many, not many people that saw that are seeing this. You know. You're absolutely right, man. It's pre- you're absolutely right. It's presencing people to like what matters, which is what you and I got. And I can just hear the gratitude in your speaking. Like I'm clear, like you're like, get this thing the hell out of me, but you didn't step over, you know, what it brought your attention to. Right, right. No, I, I, and like, I, I think that that's the most common thing and, and you can you can probably speak to this, but that's the most common thing, misconception that people have when they address you if they haven't experienced anything like that before you know it's that like 
they don't understand what the focus is because from an outside perspective, it's like, oh, you're, you, I would be like this. Well, you can't say that because, because until you're there and actually having to go through it yourself, not, I know somebody that this happened to, or I heard about this person that this happened to. It's like, until you are actually there. And that's why I always go back to that. Like in my mind, Bert, like I can see the operating table now. I can see it. Mm. I can see it right now because in that moment, it's you. That's it. It's not anybody else. Nobody's holding your hands. No amount of prayers or blah, 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 blah. There's nothing. It's you. The rubber, as we said in the beginning, is meeting the road now. And that is where you figure out what you're made of and what's what's important. And to me, my faith is what's important to me, you know? And I know yeah. that, that either way, whether I live or die through that, I'm going to be all right, you know? I do, man. I do. It's uh, common for people to say to me, I don't know how I would go through it. Like I see how you went through it, Bert, and you just, you know, you kept returning. As they say, you're so positive. And as I said to you, it's like I kept returning to positive. Right. right. But I don't know if this is right, but what I say to people, I say, you want to know what? How would you do it? You do it the same way you do anything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It just gets way more focused. You get real laser about (laughs) it. Exactly. The time, the stakes are a bit higher, but... (laughs) (laughs) Stakes are but, a bit I mean, at the same time, like, you know, there's no playbook on this. And that's why I love that you're doing this podcast. Because it just is so helpful to know that you're not alone. Like, and I know how cliche that sounds, but it's so real. It's so real. Like, because the feeling of loneliness is inherent to going through something like this. Because you're the one that has cancer, not the person next to you, you, not your parents, you, you have to go through it. And that's why it's so intimidating. And so it, at, at its nature, at its core, it's something that you have to do alone, you know, but you're not alone. There's a lot of people that feel this range of emotion that can help you to be calm in those times or to have positive attitudes that when you are walking around with boils on your nuts, like, <laughs> like, like, like there's some inspiration to be found out there. You know, when you feel like there's a microwave in your head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was one hell of a vision. When you said that, I was just like, holy cow. You have just felt like the inside of your brain was yeah, you got microwave yeah yeah that's what it was and i mean i'm sure you have radiation too it hurts <laughs> it hurts and it makes you sick you know like it makes you feel terrible but how do you deal with it well i i'll be honest i used to deal with it i'd hit my vape pen and drive up the coast all the way up the 15 yep. minutes that it took me to get home i'd watch the sun set on the beach and and get iry and Go and be with my wife, you know? That's what I would do. Yeah, man. I, uh, it made it bearable. It made it bearable. I'm so appreciating you say that because I want people to know 
you know, how we navigate these things. And as you said, like, you know, I appreciate the acknowledgement. The reason I have this podcast is because it's only for one reason. It's to be a contribution to anyone who has been through or is going through this because there is, mm-hmm. there is the initial diagnosis, there is the treatment, and then, you know, God bless you, you make it through the treatment. There is, you know, something we call survivorship, you know, and it's just like... Yeah, you, I love that word. Yeah, man, the life you live after all of this and 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 it's a different life and the first time that i got diagnosed you know the nurses would mention to me one or two nurses i think it was just one nurse she's like you know you might want to try uh, marijuana to help you with the nausea because they gave me so much anti-nausea medication they were n- that zofran crap <laughs> take that oh, zofran they were they tried so many they would knock me out and i finally I was like, you know, is my heart still beating? Is it beating fast enough? They're like, you're fine. And then I went in one day, I said, no more. Like, I'm not, I would rather be nauseous than be knocked out and just, you know, out cold in this chair. And eventually, so they mentioned, one nurse mentioned uh, marijuana. And initially I was like, man, you know, Jack Error came to my town when I was in my 20s. (laughs) We wanted it legalized for every reason under the sun, but I didn't think any of it was real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was yeah, I was coming. Yeah. Marijuana should be legalized for this reason. I didn't believe a word I was saying. I just wanted marijuana to be legal, so I was hesitant. Right. But about about halfway through my six month chemo treatment, uh, a friend let me borrow his vaporizer, and another friend let me borrow his grinder, and I started, you know, vaping marijuana. And it when I would do chemo, it was like I had alcohol poisoning. It was like I had a terrible flu. And I just ached Ugh. and was exhausted, and I would smoke. And there was still a little bit of nausea, but that flu-like symptom would go away. Hmm. And I didn't feel high, because I didn't really want to feel high. I'd already quit smoking pot years ago, but I, I yeah. didn't feel high because I was already high from the chemo. I had chemo brain. It already made me loopy. So like, <laughs> Right, right, right. The yeah. marijuana, yeah. With the weed would just, like, just, just put me at ease. And it sounds like it did the same thing for you when your brain was being, ugh, I don't even want to say that again. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't it, it yeah it so like yeah like definitely would get nauseous and like not like to the point with chemo with what i imagine chemo to be like but like it's a different kind of just just unsettled stomach you know like an upset stomach like you are nauseous like just yeah just yuck like blech you know and like it mm. would when i when i would Take some of the herbs, smoke some marijuana. I mean, I, I would I would vape it. I, I wasn't smoking at that point. I I haven't smoked now for almost two years myself. But anyways, like at that time, I would vape it, and like I, it would also distract my mind. You know, it would take my mind to an, yeah. a pleasant place. You know, it would lift me up out of that out of that radiation fog that is inevitable Mm. every time I went in for treatment, you know, like it would lift me up above that so that I could feel like myself a little bit, you know, it freed up your mental state. Yeah. It allowed you to, it allowed you to be with the ocean and the drive. Yeah. And that was, that was critical, man. Like, cause I would usually get out. I don't know if you know anything about San Diego traffic, but it's a nightmare now at, Anywhere between like three thirty and six thirty, like don't get on the freeway. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so my my like 
my treatment time would usually be at 4.30 and I would get out right at 5, you know? And so um, the freeway that went to my house, well, the really the only freeway that goes along the coast there, um, that was just a no-go. But right next to it is Coast Highway 101, which takes longer. But, man, I would put the sunroof open and put the windows down, like, you know, just yeah. smoke on my... The, Pull on my vape and just drive drive slowly up the coast, watching the sun set into the Pacific Ocean, man. Like anything that you can do, you know. You put the top down. <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> it reminds me of, of my man's song right there. Yeah. Gonna talk about old times, man, you know. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I recently did a little video clip for the local cancer resource center, the Finger Lakes, and they asked me to play a song. And I ended up playing Top Down because I was like, you know, as we're going through COVID-19 and people are going through, either going through their treatment or their post-treatment and dealing with the life of, you know, post-cancer treatment. But there's so many people that are going to watch it that are getting treatment. It's like, you know, it's like sometimes you just got to roll the windows down and just go for a drive and, you know, smell the fresh air. And just, yeah. and just remind yourself, like, you know, what's happening now is not what always will be. And it, it can get real heavy. And it sounds like that's what you were doing. You were just like, I'm, I just got to go escape for a bit. I got to go fly. Yeah, I, w- I was real lucky to live where I was living at that time, too. Like, you know, the ocean has, has always called to me. But, you know, being a surfer and, and never living more than... A half a mile away from the beach when I in the twelve years that I was living in San Diego, like that was that was sometimes all the therapy one that I would need, you know. And especially in those moments where you're just in, like that, like you said, like that invasion of like this foreign thing and like all this radiation in my head. I felt like my head was you know three feet thick because of this crap you know, that they shoot in there. Mm. It's doing what it's supposed, that's doing what it's supposed to do. It's doing what it's supposed to do. And that's why you suffer it, you know? But like at the same time, man, it just was so invaluable to hit that little bit of weed and like put the top down, you know? Yeah, man. So tell the listeners about the radiation treatment. You know, a year goes by, they knew they're going to have to go back at it. And they prescribed right. you radiation treatment. Like, what was that like? So I had a I had a great radiologist. We're still friends to this day. I've had them out to shows before, and like that. Yeah, she she's great, Doctor Hot and Gotti. Um, she's she's awesome. One one of the leaders in uh, brain radiation over there at UCSD for sure. And so she developed this. They have to. It's very very specific because. Collateral damage, like radiation, isn't like a, a needle. It's like a it's like a blanket, you know, kind of it blankets an area, but it's very pervasive, and there can be a lot of collateral damage. Yeah, you know. So with shooting it into the brain, it being around the optic nerves and all the brain tissue, very dicey, delicate stuff. They made a plastic mesh mold for my whole head. Mm. They would have to belt me into, like, buckle me in by my head to the to the table. Mm. 
yeah, not not a good place to be for sure. Already stress levels are raising. I can see it in your face. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like they're strapping you in to the table. You know, there's like, you know, six points of connection to the table with the mask all the way around your head, you know? And so like, you just get locked down. Yeah. And you cannot move. You cannot move because if you move, then where the machine is, is shooting you with the radiation, it could be off. And if it's off even a centimeter, you could be incontinent for the rest of your life or whatever, whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So many things. Yeah. I've heard about the claustrophobia. I have a friend who currently just had a brain tumor. A dear friend had a brain tumor removed from her head and like, I don't remember if it was her MRI or what it was, but just her telling me about, you know, just getting her head like just locked into position. And she didn't realize this was going to be happening. She's like, what? Like, I cannot move my head at all. Yeah. Yeah. Nor, nor do you want, you don't want to. And I don't know, like you, you said you had to have a lot of MRIs. That was, that was kind of part and parcel for me too. They, they, I was getting them twice a year at one point. Um, Mm. And that's another area of like, I would always have, I'm not typically claustrophobic, but being in that damn thing for an hour, you know, with that the horrible yeah. loud noise that, that, that those electromagnets make and like, whatever, like, yeah, that was, that was pretty gnarly too. Like those, you're in this tube and I'm not a little guy, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, somebody... The doc, uh, Mr. De La Cruz, would you like a Xanax? I'm like, hell yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty roomy in there for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Lucky you. I, you know, I, I hope I, I hope that everybody hears that too. Like, we're we're just at this point so joyful and can laugh at the experience. You know, at the funny parts or the. The parts that were miserable at the time or, or whatever. And, and you said it exactly. This too shall pass. Like it's gonna, yeah. you're gonna get through it. How are you gonna get through it? It doesn't matter how you get through it. Just get through it. Don't stop. Don't give up. When you get knocked down and you're getting <laughs> kicked in the balls with boils on. <laughs> I can't. That analogy is killing me, dude. It's killing me because it's so real. It's so real, man. Like whether you've actually had them on there or not, like this is, this is that Mm. these scenarios are that scenario. You know, that is exactly what it is. That's what you feel like. And yes, you might want to give up sometime, but fight through that urge because you can make it. You can Right, because what I find, one of the things I find fascinating about depression is when you feel depressed, when you are depressed, it feels like it's, there's this thinking that this is going to be forever. Mm. It is always going to be like this. That's how I find it, how I find it. And, you know, eventually after I noticed that pattern of, oh, Like that always happens when I feel depressed. It's suddenly, or when I feel anxious, you know, it feels like this is going to be forever. And, you know, you and I clearly both want people to know it's like, yeah, it feels like it's going to be forever, but, but be the observer of your own mind and notice it feels like it's going to be forever. You believe like it's going to be forever. Everything is perceived like it's going to be forever. And it's not, 
No. It's not. And you will be laughing about it. You will be like, dude, that was crazy. I thought I had a microwave going on in my brain. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, or like when, when I woke up in my head, like I look like, uh, uh, yeah, I look like a cartoon character that had been in a boxing match, you know, like my head was like, it looked like I went like ten, like ten rounds with Mike Tyson, <laughs> you know. Like, after the after the surgery, yeah, yeah. You're so swollen. Oh man, did anybody take a picture? Oh yeah, I have a picture. I'll have to find it. I'll send it to you. You'll text you'll, it to uh, me. I want to see it. But I'm like smiling because I'm I'm living, man. I'm living. I'm alive. I'm here. I can see. They got me on on some of the most comfortable painkillers that you could imagine. So I was I was just good, you know. I was good. My family's there. Like I got friends, uh, my bandmates were stopping by, bringing me in and out burgers, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. So you, you did this radiation, you took your drives, you got yourself through it. You rang that bell when you were done. Oh man. I like hit it with my hand. Like I rang it. Bam! <laughs> I just wanted to like rip it off the wall, you know, like, yeah, like shout it from the mountaintop, you know, like it, it just, it was epic, man. It was epic. That's beautiful. It reminds me, I was at the state fair. Was it last summer? The year, it doesn't matter. I think, I think it was last summer. There was a upstate cancer center, um, little site set up, you know, with some nurses and they're giving away free this and free that. And they had a bell and they said, you know, this is for cancer survivors to ring the bell. And I went past it. I'm like, that's cool, man. Like, I'm not really a bell dude, you know, because I'd rung the bell twice, you know, from previous. Uh, You're like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so I looped around and I'm like, wait a second, dude. There are people in this room who probably have a loved one with cancer. Yeah. Forget about yourself, you selfish man. I said, go ring it for them. Yeah, go ring and it I for them. And I went back to the ladies and I said, you want to know what? There are people out here who need to hear this bell ring. They need to hear that people made it. And I said, I've, I've been through cancer twice. Mm. And they were like, what? They're like, come ring the bell. And I hit that thing hard twice. And I was just like, and, oh, and, yeah. and it just filled me with joy and gratitude. I got a little emotional because I was just like, you know, yeah, all of you, like we're walking around and you see somebody, you see a guy like me, a normal looking guy. I don't look like I've had cancer twice. I'm, you know, I really have. No, no, COVID. you look great. Dude. Um, <laughs> physically in a way. Thanks, brother. And so I wanted people to know, like, yeah, the normal person you see strolling by, eating their whatever crazy fried food from the state fair, yeah, that person's had cancer a couple times and they're here. And it, it felt so good to ring that bell. Oh, yeah. I think that that's, that's an important thing, like the, the meaning behind the bell. Like, because we're sitting here talking about it because we both had that as a goal, as an end goal to something really terrible, right? And like it you gotta earn your stripes to ring that bell, man. You know? You gotta you gotta you gotta go through some some darkness before you can see that light, you know? And it's so meaningful. I, I take your meaning from it because I, I, I get it, man. Like I get it. It's the sound of that bell. Like how many bells have you heard in your life? A a bajillion. How many of them sound like that? Only one. There's only one that sounds like that one does. The significance of the sound of that bell. Like what that, the sound of that bell signifies. You know, right. how potent and clear that sound right. of that bell. It's just a normal bell, but 
it's all the goal and the the goals and the emotion that are attached to it that really make it something mm. that I can hear in your voice from what you were talking about at the state fair like that like it's not to be trifled with it, it's it's something that means something very serious to somebody else agreed you know? agreed and uh ringing that bell even if not for yourself could be done as a respect and a way of honoring other people honoring people who never got to ring that bell honoring folks who are going through yeah. it right now right because lots of people unfortunately don't get to ring that bell they don't they don't yeah and so yeah it's an important thing and and, I, and i'm sure that everybody can hear the significance hmm. of it just from what we're talking about yeah <laughs> so let me ask you you keep your hair really short now and i remember you had this big beautiful head of curly hair <laughs> is it because of the treatment you keep it short I, I wish I could blame it on that. However, it's just just heredity, my friend. <laughs> it's heredity. All right, it got thin, oh, man. You had a great head of hair, dude, with that big smile I, of yours. It was just it was working for you real well. <laughs> why you gotta Why you gotta bring up old shit, bro? <laughs> all right, then change the subject. So. <laughs> No, I'm all right with it, man. Right I have a, I have a I have a beautiful wife, and and she never complains about it. So. And two beautiful children. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. man. Yeah. No, I got lots of gray coming in. I don't have a beard right now, only because of wearing the uh, the mask. You know, mask. I want to keep it healthy. But you know, in my gray, there's so much silver in my beard. In my gray, in my beard, oh. there's so much silver, and in my hair, you, you see know? it. Yeah. I just got the I got the salt right here. Yes. It looks like I st- <laughs> exactly. That's the one. So yeah. now that the radiation's over, you rang that glorious bell. Like, what do you do now as far as post-treatment scans and blood work, etc.? Well, for years, um, until we left San Diego, at first, like I was saying, right after radiation, it would be two MRIs a month, uh, two MRIs a year. Uh huh. Right. Um, as those started to come back good, a couple of years of those. I went down to one MRI a year, and now it's just blood work. Mm. Now it's just they ch- they check it in the blood to make sure that everything is co- uh, with my endocrine system is copacetic. All right, so they can just use blood work. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know I, I I'm good. Like I, I I'm hyper aware of it. I would. If something was getting messed up with my eyes again, I would I would know it right away. I'd know what that's like. You know, yeah, right. Like you'd know in an instant that you need to go get it checked out. And I would imagine now, if you have, you know, going forward, should you have any vision issues, you're gonna be like, yo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. If if things are starting to look crazy, like, yeah, there's no mistaking what that was like. You know, mm. there's no, there's no, there's no confusion whatsoever. It's kind of funny too because like I hear my friends talk about it now like the people that used to live behind the house where I lived at, at that time. And like, like, dude, like it was so messed up. We'd walk, like we'd be five feet away from you and you'd be going like this to like, see who it was. <laughs> you know? Like, and like, I could guess who it was, but I, I had to be sure, you know, like that crotchety old man sitting on the front porch. Wow. You know, like I couldn't see anything, man. I I really couldn't. But I was still I was still doing everything except for driving, you know. I ride my skateboard down a 7-Eleven or, you know, like 
go surf or whatever. Like <laughs> some of my surf buddies couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, dude, how are you surfing like that? I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I just did. I'll just feel, I guess. Yeah. Huh? Feel and like, you know, you could, even though I couldn't see the finer things, I could see, you know, the grand scale of things, so to speak. So I kind of knew which way to go, you know, like. <laughs> and you could see like shadows so you wouldn't bang in. Right, anything. right. Yeah, yeah. That that was, that's right. See these like little morphous blobs and like have to shred around. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm so happy for you, brother. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. It's a, Likewise. <laughs> thank you, sir. Yeah. It's been such a joy talking to you, man. Just like just just feeling so much love for you all over again. You know, I mean, you and I have not had a conversation since like the last time I went. I don't know. I saw you guys, Kevin and Ross Rob and I, we went and saw you guys like Utica. some beer. Utica. When was that? That was probably five years ago. Longer than that, I think. Maybe six. <laughs> Not ten, really. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, dude. I'm yeah. so terrible. That, like, all the summer tours blur together. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a while ago, but I think it was post-surgery, for sure. So what that means is, like, I don't even know if I knew back then. Oh, uh, maybe not. I, I mean, unless, uh, you know, unless asked about it, like, I don't, it's not something that I bring up in conversation necessarily like hey bird i haven't seen you for years uh by the way <laughs> you know like yeah yeah right yeah you know you've been just, oh, i'm doing great versus like you know it was it was you and kevin and rob and your band and whoever was hanging out and it's like sometimes it's like how you doing i'm doing great yeah i'm doing great <laughs> let me get you a beer let's hang out <laughs> let me get you a beer right it's like you know do we you know i, I tend to err on the uh on the other side i tend to be like I'll be in the middle of a party and I'll just open up about whatever the hell is going on with me, as you may remember. Yeah. And he's like, okay, Bert's going deep right now. Like, we're, I was pouring him a beer and we're about to do a shot and now we're talking about this, okay? Right. <laughs> is it any surprise I'm hosting a podcast? No, no. I, I, and again, I'm going to say it. This is a beautiful thing, man. And, and like, uh, it's it's important work as a survivor, you know, to to tell the story. You know, it's really important to tell tell this this story because, like we said a bunch of times throughout this whole thing, like people feel alone through this, and it really helps to hear that you are not. Yeah. You know? So people know what you're going through. People have been through what you've been through, and uh, as alone as you are in the experience of it, you know your awareness. You know, of other people's experience can can can. I don't know if it can take away the feeling of being alone, but it can certainly have you have moments of when you feel connected mm-hmm. and and not so alone. And that's that is what this podcast is for. I love it, man. Great work, my brother. Work. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for your time and being on this call. Yeah, Bert. Yeah, so good to see you, man. And I, I hope uh, you continue to keep rising up. Keep rising right, up. Right back at you, buddy. All right, man. All right. Bye-bye. Later. To find out more about Dela, visit DelaSaxMusic.com. That's D-E-L-A-S-A-X-M-U-S-I-C.com. And you can follow them on social media at Dela Sax Music.
Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as The Saint Kid. See you all in the next podcast, and thank you so much for listening. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The host and guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.